Hello, and welcome to the Spring Podcast, where socialist ideas take action. I am your host, Laura Conrad. The Spring Podcast is recorded from Mi'kma'ki, the ancestral and unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people, and is produced by the Spring Socialist Network. Hi everyone, welcome to episode two of season one of the Spring Podcast. I'm here today with Gary Saran. Hello, welcome Gary. Hi Laura, I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you here. Today we're going to be talking about the uh, farmers' protest in India. So Gary, you recently wrote an article for Spring Magazine. Do you just want to talk about um, and share with our listeners what your article was about? Yeah, so in this article, I just wanted to describe what was happening in India, why the farmers were protesting and what they were protesting against. Uh, This protest uh, for farmers' rights, their right to not only um, their livelihoods and their incomes through farming, but also, you know, their right to their land. Uh, And in many cases, especially for Punjabis and Sikhs, the right to self-determination is determined by uh, the land that they, you know, uh, grew up on the land that they've been passed down in, in, in generations. And so I wanted to provide some f- context as, as to why farmers were risking their lives during a pandemic uh, and protesting these farm laws, which would have completely destroyed uh, their livelihoods, uh, their incomes, um, their land holdings, uh, and would have further uh, put more farmers and communities into poverty. For those of us who might not be aware or are just coming to this fresh, can you explain the magnitude of the farmers' protest in India? How big is this and what prompted this movement? Yeah, this is one of the largest protests that India has ever experienced in its history and also one of the largest uh, protests ever recorded in this world, uh, for that matter. On November 26th, roughly around 250 million workers and farmers came out to strike against the right-wing government of Narendra Modi and his BGP party. Uh, And what happened was they were protesting not only anti-labor laws that were were attacking workers' rights and union rights, they were also attacking farmers' uh, livelihoods uh, through these three uh, pro-market farm bills. Uh, And so, you know, through that solidarity building, this was a culmination of years of worker action and, and farmer actions that led to uh, these two strikes that we saw not only on November 6th, but then again on December 8th. Uh, and they continue to this day. That's almost hard to uh, wrap your head around because um, the, just the sheer number of people involved. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. So in, in India, we have you know, the several states and we have, uh, you know, uh, a number of large unions that represent various workers from manufacturing to retail to textiles uh, to government workers. Then we also have the farmers unions that represent various farm workers from potato farmers to um, uh, other agri uh, farmers. And so to build that sort of solidarity and to build that sort of uh, network uh, did take time. Uh, and when these unions call out for bought funds, uh, usually everyone participates. And, and what Bharat Band means, it, it just means a complete shutdown, uh, in, in essence. And so uh, that there was a shutdown by the transit union, 
by the trains union so that they weren't operating. They were, you know, were, uh, farmers um, were, were, were not working, nor were uh, retail, retail shops or manufacturers. And how long has this protest been going on? We're into the farmers protest is actually into its seventh month now. Uh, and um, over that seven months, we've seen, uh, you know, small victories, but also, um, you know, not much change that has happened. Uh, and we've also seen a number of lives lost, um, you know, everything from COVID-19 pandemic uh, to farmer suicides, which was already an increasing problem uh, for Punjab and India, uh, dating back to the Green Revolution of the 70s. Uh, and that was further exacerbated by uh, the Congress Party, uh, which is the kind of the second leading uh, party with pro-market reforms and the neoliberal reforms of the 1990s. What have the farmers achieved so far? Well, so far with the pressure, they've achieved uh, a pushback uh, of these laws. They've uh, won um, a court case against these laws to have them stayed, which means they're kind of off the... They're, not, they're, they're still there, uh, but they've received kind of a moratorium for a year. And, and so far, Narendra Modi has used this pandemic uh, to further uh, enact uh, certain lockdowns and, and certain initiatives uh, to squash the protest movement uh, and has gone on to further instruct. And, and what we've seen uh, is, is government forces, whether it be the police, uh, commit acts of violence against protesters. And so now he's using these fear tactics, uh, which are kind of, I guess... Uh, some, I guess, how would I say this? What fascists do, right? If they can't get their way, right? They they use the authorities and, and the systems of oppression, whether it be the police or military, uh, to squash any sort of opposition to them. And what is the protest? What are they protesting for? What are they trying to fight for? What were these laws, these recent laws, taking away from the farmers and the other workers? Yeah, I guess just to give a quick rundown uh, about these three farm laws. So there's three farm laws um, uh, that were enacted, right? And and a lot of these farm laws were being driven by industry and by big money, right? Big agribusiness and big players uh, um, uh, in world agriculture uh, and, and commodity trading. And so in India, we have roughly 85% uh, of all the farming is done by small farmers or, or, or marginal land owners. Uh, and there are less than two hectares in sizes. So two hectares in sizes is, is um, about what is required for, uh, you know, a family uh, or, or, or a mixed family uh, or sorry, multiple family housing uh, to thrive and live, right? And to feed themselves. And so what these uh, laws did uh, was the first law that was enacted um, was to define some of the legal contracts or the legal agreements between farmers and buyers, right? And these were framed in this pro-business way, um, uh, in this pro-business lens that gave the appearance of choice to farmers that they wouldn't have to sell to one single buyer. In this case, that one single buyer was the Mundi system or the uh, government that would give them a fixed price. And now what they're saying is, hey, look, you don't have to sell it to this person for a fixed price anymore. You can go sell it in the market to, you know, Corporation X or Corporation Y and and get better prices. Right. And, and so what this also included was specific definitions for electronic trading and transaction platforms, which was specifically written uh, and has nothing to do with the business of agriculture, but to facilitate 
and, and, and to favor corporations that are data heavy. And, and this is where the players that we hear about, you know, Facebook, Reliance, uh, and, and uh, Microsoft, some of, the, some of those uh, big players that we've heard throughout this whole protest that have been playing a role in, in passing these farm laws. And so what this first uh, law would do would, would basically take away that kind of uh, bulk buying power or that bulk negotiating power of farmers uh, to get a good price uh, for their um, uh, for their for their product, right? Because when farmers can dictate certain data, or or sorry, when businesses can dictate the data and can use the data to manipulate the prices or to get lower prices, they will. Because ultimately, the corporation's goal is going to be to produce profit at any cost necessary, whether that means destroying people's livelihoods or taking away people's land. In this case, right? If you couldn't pay, the second bill that was introduced was this, it was called the promotion and facilitation bill. And, and basically what this uh, would do, would it would remove that minimum support price so that governments couldn't maintain their minimum support price systems where they could buy agriculture on bulk from farmers, give them a fair price uh, or a decent price that they could at least, you know, uh, 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 have a, a meaningful life or a decent life. Not to say that they're, you know, these prices are any good right now. Uh, and use that as as bulk power to sell it to the highest bidder, right? Because you know when when workers to get together, uh, you know whether it's in a union or, or whether it's in uh, as a farmers union, you have more negotiating power. So the government wanted to get rid of this Monday system, and so what this would have meant was two things: one, you would no longer get this minimum support price; you'd be subject to uh, these corporations that are going to be now dictating the prices, and two. Um, it would get rid of the hoarding system. So in, um, in, in India, you're not allowed to hoard the grain because some, some states do have uh, you know, various laws on, on, on agriculture. And because you're not allowed to hoard grain, you cannot purposely manipulate price. But what this did was got rid of that protection so that these large agri-corps could buy up, say, all the wheat or buy up all the rice and hoard it. And so next season, when you're going to come sell it to them, they could be like, you know what? Our, our grain elevators are full. We don't need your stuff anymore. Right. Which then will either push the farmer uh, in, 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 into serious trouble. One, they won't be able to find a buyer at the price that they need. Or these corporations will be like, hey, well, you know, we're not going to give you X dollars, but we'll give you a lower amount at, say, C dollars uh, for your grain. So that that would have, um, you know, devastated both not only their livelihoods, um, but also perhaps it would have actually destroyed the whole idea of small and subsistence farming in 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 in, in India. And then the third one uh, was the essential commodities bill. And and this also removed that minimum support price. And what it also did was it would allow the cartelization of uh, agricultural pricing. Uh, and so, you know, we're all familiar with the oil cartels and and, and how they are able to use uh, supply to dictate some of the oil prices. Here's what we would have seen um, uh, uh, happen with agriculture as well, right? And, and so when you combine those two laws, the one that gets rid of the minutes of per price, one that allows hoarding, um, you would have had you know, a significant deterioration of the bargaining power of workers and farmers. Uh, and farm, inco farm incomes would have plummeted significantly. Debt would have skyrocketed. Uh, communities would have been devastated, right? And, and so for the farmers, when you're looking at all these three bills in combination, it's life or death. And that's why they're still protesting to this day, regardless if there's COVID or not, 
right? You hear from the protesters that on the ground, you know, if COVID doesn't kill us, these farm bills will, you know, we have to fight these, not only um, to maintain their livelihoods, but for their families as well. There's been a lot of criticism about the far-right government of Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. How did Modi respond to the farmers' protest, and how do you think this protest can act as a resistance to the rise of fascism around the world? Yeah, I, I think initially Modi was trying to play uh, off of COVID to enact harsh laws and thinking that people, you know, it would go under the radar and, and people wouldn't respond as they did. Uh, I think he played his cards wrong. Uh, he has not uh, uh, thought about or measured up to the resiliency, especially of Sikh and Punjab farmers uh, who have been leading the protests from day one. Um, and, you know, he held fast uh, for as long as he could um, until, um, uh, until he, you know, he, you know, he met with defeat in the courts where the courts said, um, you know, these laws uh, were unjustly uh, passed um, and that they should be removed. Uh, and, you know, his compromise was, look, you know, we're going to take these laws away and uh, for a year and you will see that you will benefit from this, but hasn't provided any sort of measurements of how farmers would benefit. And that's why they're still protesting. And, and so his response to the continued protest ha has been one of violence. Right. Uh, and what we've seen in India is, you know, protesters are getting uh, kidnapped and, and are getting arrested. We're seeing leaders uh, being arrested uh, and held on bogus charges. Um, and we're seeing um, violence that's committed, you know, not only by the state, but by, um, you know, uh, BJP supporters uh, on farmers, whether it's burning protest sites or or going in and, and you know, this mob mentality of, of beating farmers. But they're still out there. They're, they're still holding fast. Right. We've seen. Um, you know, journalists being jailed, right? Uh, um, and, you know, we've all heard about Nodeep Kaur and, and how she was arrested uh, for her coverage on the farmers' protests and how she was raped and beaten in jail. And, and those uh, uh, suspects haven't even been charged or even been held accountable uh, for the crimes that they committed against her. Uh, and we're still seeing this to today where uh, leaders are being targeted, whether it's uh, through social media, through the Godi media, as they call it, uh, where you have BJP and Modi-supported uh, um, uh, social media farms, as, as you can call them, uh, or trolls, going on, on social media, attacking the farmers, attacking protesters, attacking activists, and, and with such viciousness, uh, it's, 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 it's so alarming. And we've highlighted this, and, and Twitter's taken action. There was an actress who basically called on Modi to do what he did in uh, in his home state when when he was uh, a governor and 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 that and uh, uh, that was commit genocide uh, against these farmers right to take actions against six as he did um, uh, in his state against Muslims before he became uh, the prime minister. And why is this important for Canadians to? understand what can canadians learn from this movement you know i think there's a lot we can understand from this movement one is you know from an organizing uh perspective and and one is you know obviously the connections between capitalism and how it impacts people's livelihoods 
um, whether it's happening in India or whether it's happening here, because what we're essentially going to see with these laws is it's going to impact Canadians. Right. And and how is it going to impact Canadians? One, it's going to be, you know, food prices. Right. Because the more cartelization we have of these big agriculture businesses. Right. The more control that they'll have over setting prices uh, over goods and the more control that they'll have over who produces what. Right. We produce a lot of canola and wheat in India. And if, you know, all of a sudden these agribusiness decide that it's cheaper to buy wheat from uh, India, that's going to drive prices down here. But at the same time, with the hoarding that these big corporations can do, although the prices that farmers are going to get are going to decline, right? The prices that we're going to play are going to increase. And that gap is going to be that profit that these corporations are going to take. And it's going to be no benefit to the farmers or the workers of India or to Canadians or the workers of Canadians. So uh, I think there's that important angle. And I think Canadians real need to realize that Canada has played a huge role um, in uh, destroying uh, some of the agricultural industries um, that were there to benefit workers and farmers, right? Uh, you know, we saw in Canada uh, with the Conservative government and Stephen Harper take out uh, the Canadian Wheat Board, which provided, um, uh, a, a, you know, a minimum su a price support system for workers in Canada. And, and we've seen the impact of those. Like, you look at grain prices right now, you look at wheat prices today, those have all skyrocketed. Right. And even if you're taking out that pandemic, they were already rising. And what we've seen and, you know, through Statistics Canada data and, and the Farmers National Union does a good job reporting on how the face or how the, you know, the, the, the makeup of farmers is changing in Canada. We're seeing a lot, lot less family owned farms and a lot, lot more uh, corporate owned farms. Right. And and the way that these corporations are, have structured themselves the way that they've been able to get certain labor here, especially migrant labor, to do that work, what we're seeing is, is twofold. One is we're going to have higher prices on grades, and, and the other uh, is a race to the bottom for the rest of us, right? Where they're paying us less, where they're paying farmers uh, less for their produce, where we're, we're going to be, um, you know, migrant workers are, are being exploited, uh, and... Uh, where we're going to be, you know, hit not only in the pocketbooks, but, you know, in the social fabric and the makeup of our economy is going to be impacted as well. What is next for the Indian farmers protest movement? Like they've been going seven months strong, right? And, and there's no letting up. And, and you know, I have family uh, and connections to Punjab. That's where my parents have emigrated from. Uh, my dad is, uh, uh, you know, has farm in, in India and, and, and a lot of her family that still lives in India to this day are on the front lines. Uh, and, you know, we're hearing the stories every day um, of, of what's been happening. And, and you know, there's excitement uh, as well as, you know, we're finally going to see change because, you know, the, the liberalization and the policies that we're seeing uh, in India, you know, has been culminating since colonization, right? Uh, and Sikhs have been at the forefront and, and Punjab has been at the forefront at, at fighting against not only colonization, but these neoliberal policies. And we've seen acts of genocide uh, happen against, you know, um, you know, our community against Sikh, uh, you know, for, for rising up and fighting globalization uh, in the 70s and 80s, which led to the 1984 Sikh genocide to fighting the farm laws in the early 90s uh, and getting uh, the, the then um, uh, uh, economic uh, minister, Manmohan Singh, who then became uh, 
prime minister to kind of pull back uh, on uh, liberalizing agriculture uh, to what we see now. And you have two of the major parties in India, which is BJP and uh, and Congress, um, that you know are pretty much on the same sides of a different coin. Uh, both are talking about the farmer laws uh, in similar fashion, but neither are talking about removing them. And, and for Sikh, uh, Sikhs and, and and a lot of Punjabis, you know, land and, and, and farming is part of our identity. Uh, and, um, you know, it's not only part of our identity, it's, it's also our culture, our language, our existence uh, comes from this land. Um, so our pressure is going to be maintained. Uh, my family is going to be out there. It's it's going to maintain that pressure on on the government until they back down and, and remove these laws. Uh, and that's 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 the ultimate goal uh, is to take these laws off the books. And organizing is still happening. You know, uh, assembly elections are, are next year. We saw the previous elections uh, uh, where BJP lost significant amounts of of support, uh, especially in communities around Punjab and uh, and. Uh, uh, in Kerala, where where a lot of these farming laws would have been impacted uh, um, uh, farmers, and and they're now gearing up towards you know maintaining the pressure, maintaining uh, you know the protest sites that are happening in and around Delhi, that are happening in and around Punjab, in Chandigarh, and in uh, some of the major cities, but also organizing on the ground, right? Educating youth, educating uh, uh, farmers and 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 workers on what needs to be done, and and organize that at a grassroots level that ensures that not only you know if we don't beat it on the streets we're going to try to beat it on the pole uh and if you can't we're going to keep doing it until it happens because uh there is no turning back can you share your vision for the future of um what farming in india might look like what what these farmers and workers on the front lines here are fighting for what does that vision look like I think I think this is a great question, and and so you know I visited India several times, um, you know my you know you know and talking to the farmers, talking to my cousins, talking to my family about you know how farming is now and how it used to be. Talking to my grandfather and, and uh, my, my 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 partner's grandfather, where he still uh, owns farming, and and they have a long history of you know what farming was like in the 40s and 50s you know what happened in the 70s and what changed right and and i think what you know everybody wants to see right is is a return to farming that that's focused on the worker that's focused on the farmer right and that gives them the right to grow you know in a more sustainable fashion because they're seeing the impacts of you know, pesticide use and, and fertilizer and how that's impacting their soil quality and the quality of the food, right? You can talk to some of the uh, folks in India and they'll tell you, right? Like corn doesn't taste the same as it did, you know, when I, when I was a child or, or, you know, the potatoes aren't flavorful anymore, right? And, and you're looking at, you know, what happened in um, the, during the green revolution, as they call it, um, was more water was being used, right? And, and they're seeing more wasteful practices, um, and they're seeing more, um, you know, uh, people go into further debt based on these pesticides. And, 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 and you, know, you know, as people are using more and more inputs uh, to, you know, grow more and more food because they're forced to grow this food as, as prices haven't kept up and they couldn't, you know, live off the current farming practices. What, what, what they're seeing is, you know, more 
you know, uh, being handcuffed by debt, right? By 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 some of these agriculture companies, right? Whether it be Monsanto or Cargill, who's ever providing these seeds, right? Um, and and that's leading, you know, and that's led to massive amounts of, of farmer suicides, right? And and you know, in in some numbers, these suicides, um, you know, um, rate to over thirty a day, and 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 that hasn't changed. So I think what we see in terms of of a vision, and and you know, and and six have talked about this Punjabi farmers have talked about this is is a return to you know more sustainable farming practices right like as, as they did in the uh, in the past right rather than a capitalist driven for profit model for agriculture right um one that's built on the principles uh when you look at uh Punjab and Sikhi and the history of of, of Punjab and 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 you know it's fight against colonization it's it's get back to you know the core principles was you know the dignity of labor you know economic and social justice that provides for those that are at the, you know uh that that those are that uh that are the most marginalized or 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 the more uh poor of society and one that's looking at um you know not having such concentration of power and wealth uh, in the hands of capitalists or or these politicians, and, and I think the only way to get back to that um, is through um, organizing. Is to take back uh, the systems of government. Is to change those systems uh, so that it meets the needs of the people rather than the rich. Uh, and um, you know, there's been movements that have fought for this, right? And and this was the movement that I've been taught. And, and that I've learned about, where we had Sant Jarnail Singh Pindarwala, who was a, a a revolutionary for Sikhs in Punjab, that fought against similar laws that are being passed today, right? And we came up, uh, you know, Sikhs, I say we as in Sikhs, like my community came up with, um, uh, you know, dur- during the uh, uh, protests in the uh, 70s and 80s, the Anandpur Resolution. So Anandpur is a, is a place in uh, Punjab, and the resolution basically dictated a socialist state for all workers, for all people, for all religions. That's based on dignity, that's based on fair wages, that's built on uh, social and economic fairness and, and, and equity. And, and I think the only way to get back to that uh, is, is to uproot the, system, the capitalist systems and, and get people organized and mobilized uh, to change that system, right? And that's going to be you know, whether it's going to be on the streets, whether it's going to be on the, you know, the organized education camps that activists have been doing throughout Punjab on, on teaching the history of, of, of protests and farmers and the role that they played um, uh, and, and the rights that they need. Uh, and I think when it comes to traditional farming practices, it's, it's getting back that biodiversity, which has been lost. Um, and there's a lot of good projects uh, that are in India uh, that are in Punjab that looks to you know get that biodiversity, get you know sustainable farming uh, practices back into the uh, control of farmers. Um, but the way that the system's designed now, it's these corporations have just way too much power, and and the politicians are just further further um, uh, uh, consolidating that power with those uh, uh, corporations. What can Canadian listeners who might be listening to this episode do to show solidarity with the protesting farmers in India? What are some concrete actions that they can take? Yeah, I, I think the first is, you know, this is the first step. <laughs> Let's see this podcast, trying to understand, you know, at a very high level what's going on. 
Um, and, you know, I understand, you know, everybody has a busy time and they can't, uh, you know, perhaps do a deeper dive. But I think, you know, making those connections between what's happening in India, uh, what's happened in Canada and, and how that's going to impact, um, you know, not only, you know, workers and farmers across this world, but workers and, and, and families in, uh, in Canada. Uh, and, you know, for, for, you know, support, there's, there's a lot of organizations out there, right? There's uh, CASA aid that seeks, you know, you know, whether it's monetary donations to provide uh, services uh, to the protesters, to uh, people in India, whether it's providing oxygen tanks or vaccines, because they are still dealing with that pandemic. So there's that type of support. Uh, you know, and there's other types of support, such as amplification of social media, because in India, media and and likes and social media does have an impact on um, uh, does have a huge impact. Right. The, the society there is very much so connected uh, to uh, social media and, and to news. So um, sharing that information does help. Right. Uh, and uh, I think that's really important. Um, you know, there's a website that uh, a few people that have gotten together, including my friends that set up. Um, which we can post afterwards, um, uh, called farmersprotest.card.co, uh, uh, which lists the demands, which lists uh, different sorts of actions uh, individuals can take here um, in supporting uh, protests and um, farmers and uh, workers in, in India. Um, and I think another thing that Canadians need to realize is the impact that um, Canadian industry and Canadian politicians have played uh, in, uh, you know, drafting or crafting these laws. They might not have directly written them, but they have definitely influenced them, right? So I think when it comes to what we can do locally uh, is to call out these politicians, um, you know, that, that have not only um, uh, written these laws uh, in Canada, have impacted farmers here, but now we're going to trade missions and 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 are writing you know uh, these you know pro capitalist uh, uh, articles on why farmers laws are good. We need to challenge those, right? Whether it's Stephen Harper and the Conservative Party or the lack of action that Justin Trudeau has been taking, because we do have a lot of political power that we could use to support those uh, workers and um, and farmers in India, right? So whether that be you know, uh, Canadians getting to the poll and, and, and making a decision based on, um, you know, what they see as a vision uh, for workers and, 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 and uh, farmers in Canada or in the world and, and what party can help uh, ensure, you know, dignity and, and, and fairness uh, in, in that realm, right? Um, and then also just, you know, continue to petition um, uh, or, or contact their MPs uh, or MLAs because, Farmers and protesters, you know, rightfully so, are, are feared for their lives, yet they're still out there. This government, this um, uh, Prime Minister, uh, Narendra Modi, has a history of committing acts of violence against its own citizens, acts of genocide against its own uh, citizens. Uh, and, and so that fear is uh, uh, there. Uh, and I think, you know, when we look at some of these politicians um, that are pushed these laws or that have called for acts of violence i think it's you know what we should be telling our politicians is don't let those people into canada right like plain and simple right block them right and if they're trying to invest there block them because if we hit these uh people in the pocketbooks that's when we're going to start seeing change right because um you know that matters to them 
and, and unfortunate as it is, um, that's one thing her politicians can do. Um, are you saying that there are Canadian politicians who are funding the Modi government to I'm supporting, right? And and that that would benefit, right? So you have individuals like um, you know, they have these trade conferences that happen every year, right? The 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 World Agri Trade Conferences. Our government representatives go there all the time, right? We have trade representatives that go to WTO, the World Trade Organization, that have told India that they need to get rid of these supports for farmers, right? And, and so, um, so those are the uh, the people that are being directly influencing um, what's happening in India. So when you go to our web, uh, the website that, that activists has set up in Canada and the USA, uh, across the world, it's uh, farmersprotest.car.co. That spelling is farmer, F-A-R-M-E-R, protest, P-R-O-T-E-S-T-S, dot C-A-R-R-D, dot C-O. That will bring you up uh, to... Uh, the number and the and the and the numerous um, uh, articles that have been written about this issue, including Spring Magazine articles, farmers' demands, uh, videos from the protest site, petitions, uh, you know, uh, social accounts to follow to keep up to date, uh, who you can donate to, uh, you know, um, uh, and also petitions and email templates. And so, in this email template, uh, you can also create your own and. Who this email template targets is a call to action, um, you know, against the India crackdown uh, on protests uh, and, you know, allowing farmers and protests to exercise their fundamental rights. So this information um, and this pro uh, petition will be sent to the prime minister, the deputy prime minister and the minister of foreign affairs in Canada and also your local MP. So it's tied to your postal code. Um, and the other thing we can do is, is, is uh, even message our trade representative to the WTO because the trade representative, Stephen DeBoer, uh, if you just Google Stephen DeBoer, WTO Canada trade representative, you'll see his information pop up. Uh, um, you know, through the, through the trade representatives, they've been fighting um, uh, against uh, uh, farmers and workers uh, not only in India, but, you know, various parts of the world where they've been asking India to remove these uh, uh, minimum support uh, prices. So I think that's, you know, the impact that's going to uh, have when we email not only our uh, elected representatives, but also the trade representatives shows that, you know, Canadians aren't in support of what's happening in, in, uh, in India and, and that, uh, we can take action to stop this from happening. And that could be through our trade representatives, um, you know, act in the interests of workers and farmers rather than corporations. Well, thank you so much, Gary, for sharing your time with us. Um, if folks want to get in touch with you, can you share how they might be able to do that? Yeah, yeah so um, I guess the easiest would, way would be uh, my Facebook um, or my website. Um, my uh, website is GarySran.ca, G-A-R-R-Y-S-R-A-N, um, or Facebook. So if you just click facebook.com slash GarySran, you'll also get my, uh, uh, links to my Twitter, to my Instagram, to, uh, my Facebook feed. 
Thank you for listening to the Spring Podcast. Our researcher is Sarah Saheed, and our audio engineer is Brian the Vinayaham. To learn more about Spring, please visit our website at springmag.ca. We welcome your feedback. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, or review this podcast. If you have comments, questions, or ideas for future episodes, you can send us an email at info at springmag.ca.